0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Attic Static Podcast. Today we have a special guest here joining us, Brian Collins. <coughs> Brian is an architect, and he has his own business. Brian, you want to share a little bit about your business that you started?
1: Sure. Um, yeah. So my business uh, is probably not going to be it's probably very different from any other sort of like business. The guy that you might talk, you know, other guests you might not hear talk about. So uh, I'm an architect. So I've I've been licensed since. Ninety six. I lived in Arizona at the time I got my uh, master's degree out at Arizona State, uh, moved back to New Jersey in 2004, was licensed in 2006, was still working for a firm at that point. And then I went through, yeah, you know, so the job I got when I moved back to New Jersey, um, I was working in uh, Seagert and it was another guy who all, I went to Clemson for my undergrad. So I found this guy's website while I was working in North Carolina, um, who was obviously the guy who was up here, was Clemson guy. So I just bookmarked his site and then um, hated my job in North Carolina. So 2004, everything up here was booming up you know, I live in uh, at the Jersey shore, everything was booming. My parents bought a house and said, Hey, you know, every architect we talked to is like busy. They can't, we can't find anybody that'll do it small. If you ever wanted to come home, everybody's busy. Now's a good time. So I sent my resume to uh, this guy and it turned out that my resume crossed his desk the same day um, one of his draftsmen basically gave two weeks notice. They was going back to Clemson for grad school. So it was like serendipity. So I got up here. Lo- I, I would have gladly worked for that guy till the day I died. I mean, the greatest job I've ever had mm. lasted four years it kind of, you know, the economy tanked in 2008, basically he cut down to, you know, skeleton crew. So I always said my job you guys are talking about retirement a lot. My, my goal was always to sort of semi-retire to the Jersey shore design beach houses. And I got here like 40 years ahead of schedule. Um, <laughs> and then the job lasted four years. I'm like, all right, well now I'm here. Now what do I do? Um, so I worked with a couple other jobs over a couple of years and I, I kept on thinking about going out on my own and I kept on basically chickening out. Um, as know, we all do. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Ah, yeah, maybe not. Maybe having somebody else pay my salary, deal with healthcare, all that other stuff. Maybe that's a good idea. So I was actually working for another guy in Brielle and I'd worked there for about a year. Um, I come in one Monday morning. He's like, you know what? I'm paying you as a registered architect. Uh, I'm basically using you as a draftsman. It doesn't make financial sense for me. You're gone. Oh my. So I went home and uh, I was freaking out. And uh, I got home and between when I got home, he first thing Monday morning, like literally like I walked in Friday, Monday morning uh, at eight o'clock and I was like, I left, I had my desk packed and left the door at 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got home at 10 30 and before lunch, I had three people call me out of the blue saying, hey, are you doing like side work or stuff? Cause I have a project I need help on. I'm still shocked about the 30 minute commute thing. Like that does is a commute compute for me. Well, it was actually like, it was actually closer to 15 minutes. I kind of took a long, I, I actually drove down to the beach and sat and stared at the water for a while, trying to gather myself. Um, Think about jumping in.
2: But briefly. Um, <laughs> I'm digging the serendipity though, keep going. Yeah, so anyway,
1: so like, literally I get home and before lunch, I'm like too busy to, to even claim unemployment. Um, bizarre right and so I, I often say that I was, I've been on the fence for so long I finally felt like God's boot in my ass saying all right get off you're you're on your own now um, and so my wife gets home at five and I'm like okay so I got fired but it's okay because I'm already too busy she's like wait what <laughs> so <laughs> don't worry I'm, I'm already busy and like literally I never even claimed a day of unemployment because before lunch I was uh, I was like booked it's <laughs> great so um yeah so I've always I was so at Clemson. I was one of the only in my graduating class. I was one of the only Bachelor of Arts of Architecture. Everybody else was a Bachelor of Science. What's the difference? Um, technically, the difference is I had to take four semesters of a language, and I got basically more, more freedom with what I did with my electives.
2: What did you miss on the technical side, if anything?
1: There was like one extra semester of like a science. I think there was again. It was a. It was basically a difference in the electives. Was basically and then the the language was the the basic difference.
3: But why would why would you want to be able? Why the choice?
1: That's a good question. I don't know why they offered both. I don't yeah. know what the, the actual difference. I guess it was just sort of I think a lot of schools tried to have sort of, you know, try to give it so there's a, a broad range of possibilities within within the major so where you go.
2: And there's no difference with licensure down the road no. with a BA or BS? No, because
1: the the four-year degree, you still need to wind up getting either, at least a one-year graduate degree after that, anyway, before you get licensed. You need so basically some schools have a five-year Master of Architecture program. Um, I chose to do the four-year bachelor's and then a two-year master's program. Um, okay. So the master of architecture is not technically a master's degree. It's, it's what they call it. It's a five-year degree. Basically, it's a minimum professional degree. And so I went the four and two actually, because I wanted to um, go to two different schools. I wanted a, a variety of experiences. <laughs>
2: you
3: wanted to <a> party. <laughs>
2: i got the wrong with that. Yeah,
1: he was an animal back in the day. <laughs> exactly. I can sense it. And he
3: thought that the Bachelor of Science was BS anyway, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, like so for bachelor. me, I've,
1: I've always come like, it's funny because my, my wife is, she's very much sort of all about like numbers. And she was a bachelor. I met her actually in architecture school at Clemson. So she was a Bachelor of Science degree. And um, oops, it was, it's kind of funny, but um but yeah, so I've always come at it, like numbers like make my head hurt. I'm not like a numbers guy at all. I'm always, I've always taken it more from the art side. I've always taken it as more of a design job as a part of like a, it's not really engineering to me. It's much more an art. Um, so uh,
2: question, so, sure. but you're still d- determining, hey, that 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 two by six really needs to be a two by eight. Oh, absolutely.
1: You doing, so you're still doing the- <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I'm trying to think of why even I was going down that road to begin with. Um, but yeah, so like the, the, the money part of it and all that stuff was like never like in my head when I started my own business. It was literally like, okay, I'm designing houses now for myself. Um, so it was very interesting uh, the way I started my my business.
0: And then since you started, did you feel that you had to put a lot of effort into marketing or to keep it going or did things just flow by word of mouth or other builders? He had to
2: pay his phone bill to
1: keep it <laughs> ringing, right? Seriously. Um,
0: How did you keep it going?
1: Well, and again, the first job I had was really sort of like critical for the fact that any success that I'm having now, because that first year, first of all, it was a great, you know, it was a great um, environment to work in. The guy was really laid back. He was a surfer back in the day. He was very, you know, we'd always go out for like, you know, on Friday, he'd just like take us out to lunch. It was like, he was very, very great. He was the greatest boss I've ever had. Um, but in working with him, we also got, I got to have, you know, personal relationships with a lot of the, the you know, the, the builders in the area. And so, and what I love about my old boss is like, he's like my my role model because he's to the point now where he can basically say no to anything that's not a new house on a clean lot, Manisquan, Seagirt, Spring Lake. Wow. And he basically can say no to anything that's not that. Because really? that's 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 his niche, that's what he does. He farms out the structure, he doesn't even wanna deal with that anymore. So like, like, he's like, he's my role model. I, I wanna to get to that point. And that's, I'm,
2: I'm gonna, uh guess that it's much easier when you're working with a clean slate than when you're looking at retrofitting. And, yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah. But the greatest thing about it, because I left on good terms. Um, so basically anything, anytime people would call him and he's like, you know what, you're got a, this little addition, you know, in Howell, it's not really my gig. Call Brian. He used to work with me. You basically had the same experience. Um, And so he's been, he's been great. So he's always sort of like been, you know, giving me stuff that, you know, it's too too small for his office to do. But, and actually that's my, the first house I actually did as, as designer of record for myself was when I was still working with him. And it was, it was a project that he didn't want to do. And he's like, Brian, if you want to do this on your own, you know, and he would let me, he he let me come in on after hours. I used like, you know, the same computer I used at work, but he let me come in after hours. So he was great with that. And that really was part of like foundationally to sort of what I've been able to do since. And that first house probably is still the favorite thing I've actually done as as designer record. I'm still trying to recreate the magic that happened in that one. So,
2: What kind of um, gift baskets do you send Chris over to Holland?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, you know, I I wouldn't even ever send him one. I I talk to him a lot still because we both went to Clemson, so we still talk about, you know, football and everything else. Um, But it was so funny because one of the greatest things about working there was he got so many gift baskets every year from all the other from, you know, past clients and builders and everything else. Like literally we would take one day, like the, usually the last day we'd work in December, we'd open up all the gift baskets and we'd just like go around the table and everybody would just like pick stuff. And there was like <laughs> literally more than we could even take. There was like stuff that would like sit there until like June of the next year. It's like, all right, I think we can probably throw that away. It's like six months old now. It's probably not, that summer sausage probably isn't good anymore. So wait, 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 summer
3: sausage lasts forever. That's for true, that's ever.
1: probably, yeah, okay. probably a okay. bad call. This is a It's good next summer. Time.
3: <laughs> it's good Sorry, every summer. At that point, summer. it's like perfectly
1: eight. <laughs> Right? Yeah. yeah. So but, uh, you
4: rarely meet someone in this industry, right? Um, how did COVID affect the architect industry?
1: Best thing that ever happened to me. Um, so just to follow up your questions. oh, I've never actually had to, I've literally done no advertising in eight years of being in business. That's great. It's all been word That's of true. mouth through builders. I've worked with everything else. Um, COVID, I was like, ter- I, I never took a break. I did. I literally didn't take one day off. Like when everything else closed, I'm like, oh, I guess I got to still work. Um, yeah, people are all holed up and thinking about their house. And now we be spending
2: more time here. So I think so everything shut
1: down like in March, right? So by the time May rolled around, I was talking with one of the builders I do a lot of work with, and we're just trying to figure out like why we've both been like you know sleeping four hours a night and still like running around doing everything. What do we do? What's going on? It's like people are stuck in their house during daylight for the first time in their adult lives, <laughs> and they're looking around going, "Oh my God, I hate all of this. Why have we left it like this?" <laughs> so literally when people couldn't go anywhere yeah. and had to sit and stare at their own walls, all of a sudden they said, well, we're not going anywhere. So that vacation fund, might as well redo the kitchen.
4: So you, you found it to be more like just regular rooms or like man caves and stuff like that?
1: It's funny how it developed because it started off, basically, I think it was all the stuff that people had just been putting off, like all the projects that we, they've always wanted to do but never got around to. Now, like I said, now they're not going on vacations. They're not going anywhere. Now's the time, I guess, we do this work. And then like, as it got to the end of that, now people are going back to work, but they're working remotely. So now they're doing home offices. Now they're doing, all right, me and my wife are both working from home. We each need our own space. We're, we're about to strangle each other. Give us each our own space. And then there's so another bunch of people then, people like left like the big cities and all these people that had beach houses said, all right, if I'm gonna telecommute, I'm just gonna sell my apartment in Manhattan and I'll just like live at my beach house and work from there. So then, like the second year of the pandemic, was all people converting their vacation houses to full-time houses.
3: Right, and we saw the same thing in the Poconos. Right, it all shut down, and everybody like moved and went out to their vacation home in the Poconos, started working from there, and said, "Hey, I'm never going back, or I'm only going back part-time." And the construction madness began. You couldn't get a contractor for six months. No, no supplies. Right. Everybody's busy. It was. It was insanity out there and it sounds the same in the beach
1: yeah and the beach was exactly the same and uh i was just baffled like i kept on well once i got a point i was like so backlogged i got to the point when people would say all right we're gonna do this project i'm like construction prices are stupid right now do you do, would you want to wait I'm like no we're just gonna go ahead and do it i'm like are you sure don't couldn't you wait six months <laughs> and i was continually baffled that the the construct like you know the um like Windows, like lead times went from like six weeks to 12 weeks if yep. you could get them. Yep. Nobody could get appliances. And everybody was just going full bore ahead with doing stuff like the the, the supply chain issues didn't wanna, didn't nobody, st- it stopped the builders from doing stuff so people would start projects and they would take longer and then yeah. they would complain about that. Um, but no one, it, it seemed like no one was just saying, okay, let's just wait and see what happens. Everybody like, ah, just go. So I don't know whether it's like a a fatalistic, who knows? We may all not be here next year. We might as well make the house what we like for the last year that, you know, the world is existing. So, um, (laughs) yeah, so I have just been (laughs) continually baffled. And I got to a point about, I don't know, a month, two months ago where people are saying, are you still busy? I'm like, oh, I'm still busy. It's not quite as bad as it was. You're sleeping five hours a night. Yeah, exactly.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a sole proprietorship or do you have employees? I'm
1: a sole proprietor. So So you still don't
2: have to deal with the payroll and health insurance.
1: So, uh... I will say midway through last year, my wife who hated her job, she worked for a civil engineer. um, She quit her job and has been helping me out. She's a drafts, you know, she's a drafts person anyway, so. Uh Uh-oh. Well, yeah, (laughs) so she's. Working uh... together. (laughs) But it's actually, it's been fantastic actually. Cause her, you know, her uh, experience from the civil side, she does all like the site study and all the stuff that I normally hate to do anyway. And then I get to, you know, the last 10% of every project is always the absolute worst. It's all like the T crossing and I dotting that just like, as my free spirit artist self, like, just like, it's like, it's soul crushing. Um, and she's like all about that stuff. So How long has like,
5: she been working with you now? For about a year and a half. Would you say it's made your relationship better, the same or worse?
1: I think it's been better.
0: So Brian, that brings up an interesting point with your wife working with you. I understand that you're also a writer and that you actually wrote a column called Marriage Moment for 11 years. That is true. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so that was <laughs> that's interesting. I've always I've always liked to write. So like you know my uh, going back to uh, high school, like my my English score, my SATs was higher than my math score. Again, that probably also led to me going you know BA in architecture instead of the bachelor of science route. Um, so there was a time when I was uh, we shortly after maybe two years, two or three years after we moved up here, um, I just was in a, a bad headspace of my own. I don't know just there was nothing wrong with our relationship but all of a sudden like I was like I was making problems where there weren't and uh (laughs) so I I finally I found a I found a therapist I went to I went to her literally three times and after the first time she was like okay you're intimidating me a little bit you're using words that I don't even understand yet so let's like and then the second time she's like all right I see where you're coming from and the third time she's like all right you've read more books on marriage than most counselors I know when do you start sharing when when do you start sharing all the stuff you know I'm like what do you mean like She's like, you have all this knowledge, but you're not. What are you doing with it? And so, like, literally, I, so I said, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I should start writing some stuff down. And uh, so, through the church that me and Ed attended, I, I started writing a, an article in our uh, in our monthly newsletter, um, basically, you know, on, on marriage and from a from a Christian perspective. But I think a lot of the, you know, if if you literally just like you know, blacked out the the verses that I highlighted, the the advice is all basically would have still been the same. Um, so that was actually really, um, that was really fulfilling. And actually, it, it was actually, I think the most help it was for me was to take the sort of the, take the focus off myself. And once I started writing about things, then people would ask me questions and give me ideas for, for articles and stuff. And all of a sudden I realized that, you know, I really didn't have the problems that I thought I had.
2: <laughs> what, what was the subject of your writing? Was this like, a, you know, a, a day in the life, a day in your life, or was it uh, how-to
1: it, it was, it was more, of, more of a how-to, more of a things, uh, just sort of different ways to put certain things in perspective. I mean, a lot of it was about, I came, after 11 years, I kind of realized that I probably could have written the entire thing in, like, three sentences, and it really was about talk honestly and openly. That's really, that's, that's kind of really all of it. That's one sentence. Right. I, I probably, you know, I'm a writer, so I probably could have embellished it a little bit. But, you know. Um <laughs> But really, like, if the communication is really the the closest thing to a silver bullet into the the whole you know relationship problem.
3: Right. And actually,
1: it was interesting. That I got to a certain point where I started to feel like I was repeating myself because there's only so many you know. First of all, you know, I started pulling you know, marriage messages out of uh, verses that you would have never thought would be marriage messages, and I would sort of like find and like you know. So I'm I, I run sometimes too, right? So I did one whole. There's four different places in the New Testament where, where the Apostle Paul talks about, he uses running a race as a metaphor. And so I did like a whole four-part thing on running on, on race running and how it applies and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I started feeling like I was repeating myself and uh, another guy we went to church with was basically like, that's okay, because, you know, you're writing stuff. i are like, like eight years into my Yeah, people my haven't read point. the first
3: ones anyway. He's like, right? yeah,
1: you're, you're yeah. reaching new people. And right. he's like, and sometimes the people that, you, that read it last time, they're going to see this, and it, gonna, it's going to click this time.
3: <laughs> That's right. So, um, so it says here, poet and writer. So what about the poet part?
1: When he writes
5: his stuff, it rhymes.
1: That's <laughs> 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 funny. I'm, a lot of my poetry doesn't rhyme, actually. It's all about meter, but... Um, yeah, so like, again, I've always, been, I've always been more of a, a creature of language than, than of numbers. So like I've, I've always sort of written. Um, and so for a, for a while I, I, had a, uh, I had a Facebook group called, um, do Facebook groups exist anymore? But it was, it was called, uh, I'll try it, it was Poet something. I have to go back and look at it. Now. I haven't looked at it in a while. Um, but there was like <laughs> six or seven of us that were in that group all the time. And basically we would take each month, we would each uh, come up with a rule and then the last person would have a subject. And then we would like, spend that month trying to write a, write a poem using those rules with that subject. Okay. And uh, it was actually, it was a great design exercise. I've, I've one of those things I would also apply to a lot of um, architectural problems and everything else. Like, all of a sudden, if you have like, rules that you're trying to work within, um, it changes things, right? Like a blank piece of paper sometimes is the scariest thing. And all of a sudden, so if you have rules, now it's like, oh, now I have, it makes you think about word choices and about how you put things together. Um, and I think a lot of times, I often tell, even you know, with my architectural education, I often say that if, if I was to do anything else, I wouldn't trade my architecture schooling for anything because essentially it was six years of creative problem solving, public speaking, and you know you can apl- use those things to apply to anything. What led you to architecture in the
2: first place and how old were you when you realized that's what you wanted to do?
1: Is
5: it from George Costanza?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I've known I wanted to be an architect since I was in fourth grade. Uh, Any specific
2: e- event uh, you know, lead you to it? Or?
1: Sort of, yeah. So like I'd always been like from way back in the day when I was little, like Lincoln Logs and Legos were always <laughs> my favorite thing, right? So I mean, I I Erector sets, I would like love build stuff. And so in fourth grade, I was in this program for, you know, uh, advanced students, I guess. Um, it was like an independent study project. It was basically like, you know, a thesis project for fourth graders. So it's like, you come up with an idea and then you, you do some research and then you put together a project. And I was doing some like, it was some sort of like crazy like engineering thing, like something about like desalinization of salt water, blah, blah, blah. And I kept on like ignoring the technical research. And I'm like, when can we get to the build the model? And finally my, Mr. Schwartz, I'll never forget him. Finally, he's like, how about we just do architecture? All you wanna do is build the building anyway, don't you? I'm like, that's it. You're right. <laughs> and so I changed my whole like midway through. I changed my entire focus. I went and interviewed a couple of architects and I built like some little sort of, you know, cardboard model and and it was great. So and ever since then I'm like, nope, that's what I'm doing. And uh that's I what think I'm
3: doing. I think a lot of people probably have a, a weird distinction like for building a house or building a building, you need an architect, but you also need engineers. Where where's the split, right? Like what are, what's the difference between them?
1: Right. So, um for residential stuff, you can almost always get away without an engineer, um, as far as like structural stuff, because basically there, there's programs out there now that you, you can <clears> size, you know, just about anybody can size a wood beam now. You know, if, if it's holding, you know, regular living space load, it's spanning X feet, there's tables you can go to that says you need this, this size member. Um, there's still the occasional thing where somebody wants to do something really weird. Somebody wants to, I did have to, um, somebody was doing a, they're opening up their, you know, open floor plans are all the thing, right? So everybody wanted to open up their floor plan, didn't want a column anywhere. And it was like 27 feet across his house. I'm like, we're not doing that in wood. So that was one I brought in a structural engineer and we sized the steel beam to, to go across that. Um, so that's just like the structural side though. There's always like um, civil engineers are almost always still necessary because every town now you want, you know, Water runoff if you're you know disturbing land you want to see like where's that where's that water going after it goes out know, if you're grading the site so civil engineers are almost always still still needed um, but for like residential stuff the the scale stuff that I do I I mean I can do like ninety five percent of the structural stuff myself
4: got it and you do no non-residential don't do light commercial? I do
1: the occasional light commercial stuff like if it's a tenant fit out if it's something that's not good. The, the problem becomes like the the codes are such that you know. As a one-man show, if I have like six projects, seven projects on the boards, and there's just one of this project that I have to like now, I now I got to sort of go in. I got to do the ADAs research. I got it's all the stuff that's not in my normal wheelhouse. It just takes so much time. I mean, I could still do it if I had like no work on the boards. I would take those projects because then I had the time to you know to expend on them. Um, but profit-wise, it's just kind of sometimes it's hard to make money for me because that's just not what I'm set up to do.
3: So, so tell us about the business side of things. You're sole proprietor. You do architect. Uh, work for individuals right so yep. how does it work as a as a job or as a business you know how do you run it how do you how does it how do you compare it to your wife was working as an, with a normal salary right for right. a regular job so tell us how you how it feels to you to be independent
1: it's um it's pretty awesome um I can say that now. It's always been awesome in the sense that I love being able to make my own schedule. And so for the longest time, you know, when when my wife was still working, um, you know, we had our two kids, and so like when they were still in school, if I needed to take time off in the middle of the day to go take one kid somewhere, I could do that, and then I could make up that work at night. I could, you know, you know, work on a Saturday morning and you know, make up that. So that the the flexibility of my own schedule has has been really really important. Um, and the, the last job I had, like the the guy who let me go that one day, is like. The problem was like this, the parts of the job that I love are actually talking to people and sort of finding out what they need and how to, you know, and figuring out the, the design solutions. And my last boss sort of like hoarded those, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, those interactions, you know, like my first boss, the, you know, Chris, who I worked with, he was great. He would always have us in the project meetings and then he would just like, all right, this is kind of what they want. He would like do like a scribble on a piece of paper and say, here, just run with this and figure that out. Whereas my last boss was like very he like kept the design stuff really to himself. And so it's like his working there was, was so little fun because like I, I didn't feel like I was doing anything that I but that went into this job to do.
3: When he turned around and said, You're, I'm just using you as a draftsman anyway, right? That's self-imposed, right? right? He kind of did that on his own, right? Because he was Yeah, yeah exactly. Back, right? And
1: exactly. So I don't am not sure why he hired me to begin with. Right. If that's what all he wanted, you know, all he wanted out of me. Um, but again, it was just the way he ran his business and right. again, I can see I can see a lot of myself in him it's one of the reasons why I don't have any employees because I do love that part of the business you know what I mean
3: so why don't you why don't you have an employee doing the stuff you don't like?
1: Well, I kind of don't need that now because like my wife kind of sort of bridged that gap for okay. right now so fair enough and uh, how do
5: you handle insurance health insurance since I mean, you're paying for it yourself.
1: Yeah, so we went, you know, we went through the marketplace, you know, and uh, you know, found a plan. And obviously, we're all, you know, we're, you know, knock on wood, we're fairly healthy. So we just, you know, bought the the minimum possible plan, which is still, you know, awful trying to pay for. It. And um, it just is what it is, right? So.
3: You're talking about the uh, Obama, Affordable Obama. Care Act, Obamacare, yep. right? Cool. Yeah, so New Jersey
1: has, you know, eHealth New Jersey, whatever it is. That's right. sort of like the marketplace where you go through them and, you, you know, you, they'll sort of walk you through filling out the forms. And then they say, OK, uh, based on all these things, here's your plans. And you just pick one and then
3: uh, silver, you know. bronze, yep. whatever, right? Okay. And, and insurance
4: is a big thing in your industry, no?
1: Yeah, so I do have... Um, yeah, the professional, you know, the E and O, so errors and omissions insurance. Um, it's one of those things where for the level of stuff I'm doing, it's probably not 100% necessary, but obviously it's smart. And obviously I realized, you know, once you start paying your own taxes, all of a sudden it's like helpful to have those things. It's helpful to have expenses. Like the first couple of years, you know, I basically had almost no expenses. I mean, I was working out of my house. I was, you know. Um, you could write off everything. Yeah. And then you, you learn that real quick. <laughs> so like actually the, the first year was brutal. Having that half year where I was just, just kind of scrambling to fill in the gaps, that first year was such a learning process of like, oh wait, now we owe this much? Cause I wrote, cause I had nothing to write off. I was just like, you know, trying to scrimp and save. And, you know, um, I was trying to have no expenses, not realizing that, oh no, you need expenses. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, you know, April is really, really hideous. Um,
0: so, Brian, when you were speaking earlier about your writing, you also mentioned about running. Yes. Yeah. Is this kind of small scale, like 5Ks? Or you do marathons, half marathons? What type so of running are you involved in?
1: I've done one marathon and uh, I didn't catch the bug. And so I think the best and worst thing that happened to me is I hit both my goals. And it's one of the things I, I didn't even want to do it. Two of my friends signed up and said, All right, we're doing it. And which I'm like, one, Which did you run? The, uh, the New Jersey Marathon, the one in, um, that runs starts, starts at Long Branch. Yeah. Or it starts at uh, Monmouth Park and then you finishes in Long Branch. And uh, so my friend signed up, and I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. And then I just like, realized that like, if I didn't do it, I would have to see their posts that they did it afterwards. And I'm like, all right, well, screw <laughs> that. I'm not, I'm not letting them finish without me.
0: Whatever motivates you, right?
1: Exactly, right? And so I signed up and it was funny because both of them are a lot younger than me and I beat them both. And um, like I said, I hit both my goals. And so I felt like I never needed to do what another one. What were the goals? So I wanted to be under four hours. And then I wanted my, my stretch goals. So I wanted my, my average pace to be under nine minutes. And I ended at like three fifty six and eight fifty eight, whatever. You know.
3: Adam, where were you?
2: Three fifty six twenty.
3: For you, I didn't even know you ran a marathon. You ran really? the same Philly the same marathon you ran.
5: Philly, yeah, too. The same day. Yeah. The same I, day. I, I, that was my PR day. That's why you. Guys wow. were here. I don't remember we're talking, That's, well, that's why know, we yeah, were there. That was twenty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you went there for me? Yeah. G- no. Gary was all
2: <laughs> in his glory. When I came through, I, I passed. You know, the last few miles of that out and back to yeah. Manayunk. You know, I, I saw the Ethiopians, Tanzanians, and then there's Gary right on your heels. You were, named, you were eighth place, weren't you? Close. I think you were eighth, 16th. Well, just take
1: eighth. That's no, pretty good, Gary. It, yeah, so went, I, I felt bad afterwards, be, beating both my friends because like my my one friend, I felt really bad because I, I think I, you
2: should have rubbed it in.
1: Oh, I kind <laughs> of did older. without knowing it, right? So yeah, the my, the first guy I passed twice, and he was he's not a runner. He ran it because we were all in this mode where we we're all like running stuff, but he's like a big bodybuilder dude, so he's like not built for speed, and um. But he like, so I, when I signed up, you know, you had to sign up for, you know, where your pace, intent, your, yeah. you know, intended pace, right? So I signed up one corral behind where I thought I actually could wind up. So I figured I wouldn't embarrass myself that way. And he was like really gung-ho at the beginning. So he signed up one corral ahead of where he should have. So like I passed him like in mile two and then I I, I hit the porta potty and then he passed me while I was in the, and then I passed him again in mile six. And he's like, jerk, you passed me twice. I'm like, oh, sorry, man. And then my other friend who actually is a runner, like ran in high school and like we expected all to like, you know, get, you know, finish like hours behind him. He, uh, I think he overtrained a little bit and had like a, a hellacious uh, leg cramp at mile 19. So he was like limping like the last like seven miles of the race. Did you pass him? I passed him at mile 21. Oh, nice. Did you laugh? <laughs> I, well, it was funny because like, like at mile, like once you pass mile 20, right, you're in that different headspace, right? So things are like finish. different past mile 20, right? And so, but we're on, we're, we got to the point where we were on the, uh, on the boardwalk in Long Branch and I'm going and I'm going. And I, I knew what shirt he was wearing. He was wearing a Tough mutter shirt. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna pass Malachi. And so as I went by, I just patted him on the back and just kept going. Knocked him <laughs> over, he falls on his face. His <laughs> legs, right? Like I said, I, I didn't even complete in my mind like that something could be wrong. I just like, I was like, <laughs> just, like cool, I'm gonna pass Malachi. I was like all like excited and... uh it was so funny cause I had like spent so much time, I, all the stuff I was reading is like, you know, mile 20, like that's like, that's where you hit the wall. Like, you know, that's where, you know, it's like my longest training run was 20. So I hit past mile 20. I'm like, every step I've taken is now the longest I've ever ran, which was kind of like cool. And so I was so ready for the 20 mile like wall. I actually had like two iPod Nanos. I had my one for the majority of the race. And at my mile, like 19 and a half at the water station, I switched to the other one, which was like my 12 favorite running songs. Rocky. Just yeah. to like, just like <laughs> totally like, pump myself up. And then I passed Malachy and I like, I just like, I sailed like, I was like, I, I didn't even I didn't think I touched the ground for like the last five miles. I was like, I passed Malachy. This is like the greatest thing ever.
0: But that's great. You're passing on the motivation because now your friend has something to be motivated about. It's like, oh, I'm gonna get the next <laughs> race. i got gonna give me pride.
1: <laughs> so he like beats me in every other race we've ever run together. So just re- like uh, last week or two weekends ago, I ran the, um, the Garden State 10 in Somerset, which is actually my favorite race to run, which is, it's really interesting format. So you run a 5K and then you line up again and then you run 10 miles.
5: No, that's only if you want to it's not standard. But you, you, get the, you get the cool challenge
1: accepted medal if you run both races. So like, it, and that race is like, it's all about, they have the best medals like ever. Um, so it's like, that race is all about the bling. So like every year is a different sort of like Jersey theme. Like, so one year their medals were like the, uh, like the state trooper logo, but it said Garden State 10 on it. You know, one year it was the Jersey devil. Um, one year it was like diner themed. And so this year was actually the, uh, the medal was um, the, the, white, the white and red uh, pork roll box. Nice. <laughs> You mean Taylor <laughs> ham? Yeah, Taylor ham. From Jersey. North Jersey. Like, again, I don't know where, like I, I'm all about Taylor ham too. And I'll tell you the story that, you know, Butcher Taylor actually called it Taylor's processed ham when he invented it. And the FDA rules in 1906 defined what you could call ham. So he had to change it after 1906, after the FDA regulations. So I say, if you call it pork roll, you're just bowing down to the man. Screw that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call it Taylor ham because that's what Butcher Taylor called it. So one thing about having like,
5: you know, have like it's the scary. beer mile, we have like the Taylor ham mile. That'd be pretty cool.
1: <laughs>
3: pork, pork roll mile. Pork roll mile. Yeah. No, growing up in South Jersey, it, it was pork roll. <laughs> <laughs> in South Jersey, it was. yeah, yeah. Don't
1: cool. listen to the government, man. <laughs> don't, don't let them tell you what to say. <laughs> They're
5: listening to this.
2: You know, we I, so. I gotta say, I'm kind of middle of the state, but. Pork, roll, egg, and cheese just rolls off your tongue too no. <laughs>
1: easily. Egg and cheese? It's practically one word. You don't even need to put spaces in Egg him. and it's cheese. Yeah. It's, not, hmm. it's
3: not as cool. Pork that
0: roll sounds egg. like a full Pork debatable roll. topic for another whole episode. That's a separate episode. You
5: know, it's not good. That's I, a breakfast. I, we have to do that early in the morning <laughs> and have a breakfast episode for that one. So do you run like one race a year?
1: No, well, I mean, I was running to you know through well, until the pandemic, I was running like a handful. There's always um the NJ Share 5K, I always run with my friends because, you know, they have a they have a child that died. And so the, uh, the NJ Share one is all based on organ donation, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I always run that race with them. I'm the only one, I think, they told me last year that's that's run it with them every year they've been a part of it. So, like, that's that's always the one I run. And then I try to do, you know, that's usually in June. So I try to do one in the... The, the great thing about the GS-10 is, it you know, you're training for 10 miles, so you can't sort of, like, slack off. And it makes me run through the winter to, to be ready for it, so... Otherwise, it'd be really easy just to not get out of bed. Um, and then I usually try one. I try to keep one, you know, so one in the fall, one in the summer, and then one in the spring, just to sort of keep something. I find, like, through the, the pandemic, is like it was the worst trying to, like, actually stay motivated to do anything. It's like, nothing's on the schedule. Why am I bothering? Um, you know, I never understood that,
5: um, how so many people during a pandemic gained weight, I'm like you have all this free time. <laughs> you have of time. I mean, I was in the best shape I've ever been in because uh, nothing yeah, was in the way. Right.
3: right. Yeah. I had the yeah, I had the same like the people that I run with, which was like once a week. We started running. I think I was running almost every day for several months until my hip started bothering me. I had to cut it back, but it was just like, what else are we gonna do, right? Just yeah. every day, just going out They're and running, right? I mean. <laughs> Eat. Eat. <laughs> yeah, but run but Run first, eat second. Right? Right. You, you eat like, up all road. those miles on the How road. How would
4: you be confused? It's common there's they're stuck in their house. They're eating. Yeah. You're, uh,
2: you're
1: closer to the refrigerator, roll. man. Yeah. You got the Taylor Ham and the pork roll right there. <laughs> yeah, for the runners. Do you run morning or morning or night? Morning. Always morning, morning right? Morning. Be
5: morning. I used to only be able to run at night and then I got older and started running in the mornings because I was never a morning person. And I by the time five o'clock comes, I can't move my legs. So when they have these these evening races. I'm like, oh, man, this is time for bed. I can't do this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I noticed just like you know when it got to that point, like where the you know I had a kid in middle school and high school, and like they were, they were always doing something. It's like I knew if I didn't run first thing in the morning, by the time you get no, home, not it's not like happening. it's just it's not nice happening. To be yeah. just, it's it's just not happening at that point. You so gotta get it in. I've never been a morning person either, but like I forced <clears> myself <throat> to be a morning person just to get the run out of the way. Yeah. Um, All right, I went out. I ran at 6:45 this morning. You? Um,
5: this morning I slept in, Gary. Well, I, like I, went you the, you I went to the gym tonight. first at seven. <laughs> he knows I and then retired ran from after that, so I did both. So you did both, but seven at the, was the start.
3: At <laughs> Johnny, no running. Ed, I ran last night. <laughs> you ran last. Oh, he's ran a, up night, up, a night, a night
1: run. There's a night I run. Running. Up
0: and down. Well, it's because of the schedule band-aided.
1: <laughs> so you, yeah. usually I, I try to get up at, at six, and then I either I alternate, you know, the gym and, and runs. So I, my calendar says that that's what
3: I'm doing, but it's not actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> Adam doesn't run. <laughs> Yeah, I'm
2: I'm retired, but I might I might come out of retirement.
0: Ah, you can run errands. You can do a lot of running.
2: Oh, I do that kind of
0: stuff. Run the mouth. <laughs>
2: yeah, I run my mouth through hot. my head.
0: <laughs> so, Brian, I understand you also have a serious gaming hobby that led to yeah. uh, store champ title and uh, paint competition. <laughs> <laughs> Want to share a little bit about yeah, that? So,
1: uh, paint
0: competition. Oh, he's gonna yes. tell you about
1: it. All right. Yes, I am. Uh, well, it's kind of funny, because one of the things I do at the game stores, I, I do we do have a, a D&D session now, so we do play Dungeons and Dragons. I've been playing since I was 13, and I, I am the quintessential bard. I am the jack of all trades, master of none, um, as you can kind of tell by talking about me. Yep. Right, so, um, but yeah, so a while ago, <laughs> I was down, I was actually doing a, a little uh, commercial uh, job down in, in downtown Tom's River. It was a little cafe that just needed drawings to get their, you know, permits to open up. And right down the street from that is a, a game store you know, they sell you know, board games and that kind of stuff. And they had all these uh, these Star Wars sort of ships, all these little cool little models in the window. I'm like, so I went in there. I was like, what, the, what is this? And um, apparently there is an X-Wing, the miniatures game. Um, you play on a three-by-three three mat. You push little plastic spaceships around and they make pew-pew noises as you shoot at each other. And um, so at the time, of course, I, did, I just said, my, my son, who was also a Star Wars fanatic, I'm like, well, my son would love this game. He was like 14 or 15 at the time. And so I... Uh, me and him went down there one day. We talked about it. Said, oh, there's a group on Wednesdays that meets here and plays. And so I got him the core set for Christmas. And um, after a while, him he had gone, so I let him play for a while. I played with him a couple times in the kitchen table. And then he was, you know, getting, he was like ordering other ships on online and, like, because ships they couldn't find. I'm like, what's going on? What is, what's going on here? He was like ordering ships. Like I thought I was a Star Wars fanatic, but he like was ordering these ships. I didn't even know what they were. I'm like, all right, now wait, how is this a Star Wars ship now? And a lot of it, turns out, comes from the, um, the animated uh, shows. They, they took a lot of inspiration from that, from the, uh, a lot of the ship designs. And so now I, I play much more than he does. He's off at college now, and um, I play once a week. Uh, we go down on our Wednesday nights. We sometimes also on Thursdays. And uh, we have a tournament uh, once a month. And so now like there's been a group of us now that have started to travel to like other other game stores and play in their tournaments.
2: So is, is that is that really true or is that just what you tell your wife you're doing on Wednesday nights? <laughs> no, now she, fully, she, she realizes, and this is
1: one of the reasons I, I am absolutely blessed. She, she realizes I am a better person when I get my, my weekly dice therapy. Well, of course. I mean, much easier- But what easier... are you really doing? No, I, I'm literally going down there and rolling dice and playing with plastics. Fantastic. <laughs> and you're in the same group? You play yes, with? yes. Yeah.
0: only so does he rope in and uh, re- recruit his kids, but also his adult friends. <laughs> it's a, You know, it's great because, you know, when you're younger, you know, you're playing board games with your friends, you're, you know, playing wiffle ball, say, hey, who's around? Let's play, you know, you know, football with whatever kids in the neighborhood. It's exactly that feel. Yep. It's exactly that feel. Right, of just of hanging out, kids. And, yes, it's a lot of nostalgia. nostalgia. You know, when I'm down there, I feel like, you know, this is great. You know, it's like you know, junior high, hanging out, just kind of having a good time. It's you know, a PG some,
2: version of playing cards and drinking whiskey. Yeah, pretty much. You right? know, I mean, there's some there's guys there, see some
0: ladies there. You know, there's some younger, you know, kids. You know, everyone's you know welcoming. Everyone's open. Everyone's you know welcoming to new players. Hey, try my ship. You don't have equipment? Bar some of mine.
1: The community but, is fantastic.
0: Yeah, and that really makes it nice because it's a very welcoming atmosphere. You know, and I think it's kind of cool, too, because, you know, my son started playing and, you know, at first when he went down, you know, maybe a little bit shy, maybe a little bit, you know, hesitant, you know, meeting new people. But everyone is so welcoming that it kind of brings out, you know, some of those folks that might be a little more introvert to kind of really relax and enjoy themselves.
1: That's funny you say that, too, because my son was, you know, he's he's in engineering school now. He's in uh, up in Rochester, but he um, not the most socially outgoing kid. Oh, gonna be a great engineer. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so anyway, he got into this game and he started going and like, I was like really, it was cool for him because he was never a sports kid. He did Cub Scouts and then Boy Scouts. He's got his Eagle Scout, which is fantastic. But that was like the one thing he ever did. And he found this game and all of a sudden he was doing this, you know, he was going down once a week. He was playing the tournaments once a month. I'm like, this is like fantastic. And I, I saw the change in him from 14 to when he graduated at 18 and then went off to college he made so he made strides where he could all of a sudden just go into and have like conversations with people like strangers with strangers yeah. and it was it was amazing to sort of like help him cuz my son he was born really early and i wish in the looking back i wish we had kept him out of school until his actual due date as opposed to when his actual birthday date was cuz i think he was always like the youngest kid and i think he just you know developmentally he was like always like he was smart enough and all that kind of he's a big kid now he's like 6 and he's taller than me um but he was always like, I felt socially, he was like that one step behind. I wish we, but he was such a ball of energy. We just, you know, we had to like put him in school just to, <laughs> for our own peace of mind. Um, but that, that four years of, of playing X-Wing really, really helped him socially being able to get ready and go off to college.
0: One point for Star Wars. Yeah. So Brian, I have a question for you, getting back to your business. Yeah. So you have your own business. We talked about some of your writing, you enjoy running, you have a gaming hobby. Now I put myself in that category that Ray was joking around about, the chicken group, that was definitely me, (laughs) who've always been afraid of having my own business or starting our own business or office, you know, in my field in physical therapy because I've always been scared about, it's going to give up my whole life. I'm not going to have time for anything else. You know, I'm not going to be able to live a life, but yet you're involved in so many things. What would you say to some of the viewers that are looking maybe to start their own business and yet try and balance their life? What have you found? What are some of the lessons that you can share?
1: Well, I mean, balance is, I think it's like it's like one of those like those holy grail concepts. I think it's one of those things that you can like chase forever and not really get. Um, so part of it is just like having, having uh you gotta set boundaries, you gotta, you know. And again, I sort of like figured out a lot of the boundaries sort of like three years into the fact, because, you know, kind of, I started without really a whole lot of planning. It's like, oh no, you're starting now. And then I had to sort of figure things out as I went. Um, and so part of it was just sort of like, I sort of like fell into things. I'm I'm very much one of these things uh, I'm sort of, sort of a holistic, anybody ever read, uh, what was it, uh, Dirk Gently and the Holistic Detective Agency? I did not read that one. Crickets. No. Here. Yeah. Ah, we right. need the cricket sound, Stevie. <laughs> it's a really good one. Um, it's uh, Douglas Adams. It's the same guy who wrote uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's yeah. his non-Hitchhiker. It's his not non-hitch- be old then. It's yeah. It's like Jurassic. It's way way back.
5: And what's it called again?
1: Dirk Gentley's Holistic Detective Agency. I will read it. But basically the whole thing is Dirk gently goes through, he's, you know, he's a private detective and he just goes through life just figuring he's gonna be where he needs to be. He doesn't plan anything. He's like, I'm just, it's gonna happen. I'll I'll be, I'll figure stuff out as I go. And it'll just happen that, you know, he always just sort of assumes he'll be at the right place at the right time and something will fall into his lap. Existentialist mentality. A little bit. And I think I've sort of taken a little bit of that approach with my business because again, I started it without planning. I had no choice. And then because my wife was working, so I had, you know, I was home. So, okay. So the kid need to go somewhere. Hey, I'm the one that's home. I'll deal with that. And so a lot of those kind of things, the sort of the flexibility was just sort of built into sort of the way I started from the, from the get-go. The other weird thing with my business is that it's very much a, a, it's not like I'm ever, it's not a nine to five kind of thing. It's not a, it's not something, you know, some jobs are really easy. Some jobs, you know, the first sketch you do is perfect. And some jobs, you know, you're on you know version eight and they're still like, oh, I'm not quite sure that's really what I want. And it's like residential architecture is brutal. I always say that Anybody going to architecture should minor in psychology because like half, especially residential, half the problem, some people know exactly what they want and they don't have the language to tell you what that is. Mind reader. So it becomes this whole process of drawing out what's actually important. And it just happens all the time. Somebody says, okay, this is what I want. And you draw that and they're like, that's not what I want. That's what you told me you wanted. (laughs) And then you, okay, so then you have to get sort of the questions behind the questions and figure out what they really want. and so I think just the way residential architecture in general is not something that's ever really rigid. It's it's very much, so there's there's times now where, you know, it always happens where there's like three projects on the boards that are the exact same phase and they all need to be done by Friday. And so then it's the same sort of end of, it's like that last 10% process, right? You're just doing it over and over and over again. And there's times where everything's in the design phase where it's like, it's super easy where like, okay, this is what they said last time. You draw something up and you send it off and then you have to wait for them to get back to you. Right. And so you do that. And then I get up and I pet the cat and I have another cup of tea. And then, you know, then I work on the next one. I just do the design thing, I send out to the person. And then, so there's some days where it's just naturally, the balance is just sort of built itself in. So the cat loves the design phase. Yeah, (laughs) cat's all about the design phase. Um, But you know, then there's other times where like, you know, you're getting up and you're just like, cranking till the end of the day. And then you get up the next day and you crank till the end of the day. And it's like, you know, there's the production side of it and the design side. And it's, it's one of the things I love about the job is because no two days are ever really the same. Because even if you're at the same phase, the projects are different. And so things are always different. And so there's some days where I'm out measuring and, and you know, so you can draw existing buildings so that you can draw, you know, design additions. There's other days where I'm, you know, meeting builders in the field going, all right, this is a hundred-year-old house, we just opened it up and all the structure runs opposite the direction that we thought it did. Now what do we do? All the beams are wrong. Okay, so now we're you know now we're scrambling to figure out now everything's open and things are going on and things are ordered and like, oh we gotta figure out all this new stuff like right now. Um and that's one of the things that's always like drawn me to this profession anyway, is this that it's just always different. So and how so, do
3: how do you manage the time? Like checklist, like Google Calendar, how, how do you keep the business running, know where you are on all these multi you know, projects running in
1: parallel? How do you do it? Um yeah, you know, it's really sort of like crude. And basically I have a spreadsheet and then it's like, you know, what phase things are at and you know what needs to be done. And so like then I have my spreadsheet, my base my 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 basic thing. And then basically I, just, I literally keep a a notepad open on my desktop, which has the things that are like most important for that day. And so, you know, so the the spreadsheet does the big things like, okay, like this is done, I can mark this off and I've invoiced for this and this has come in and this is what's still due. And then like that little notepad file is like, okay, oh, that's right, this job, I gotta get, you know, he called me yesterday, he wanted this other thing. And so like that, so basically it's just, it's really sort of it's really kind of crude. but. Stevie, <laughs> I'd
2: like to request a, a sound bite every time the word spreadsheet yes. is, is used on this show. Yes. Something that evokes the clouds parting and the rays of the sun coming
1: down. The on, spreadsheet on strikes again. I was yeah. thinking the
0: same thing. Right? Right. It, it is. Something, but it's funny, <laughs> that's a <that's> late
1: <laughs> <a lane laughs> addition. I really only started doing the spreadsheet like four years in. Well, you know,
2: you've seen the that's, light. Yeah. <laughs>
5: All
2: right. So, your I, 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 your your attitude, your energy is awesome, and it seems like you've been in the right place at the, at the right
3: time. Um, like, except like, except like, for when he lost his job a couple of times.
5: Well, it's because of Dirk Gem. No, no, that was,
3: that but, was, but was even a, that, no,
1: that that was that perfect. Was perfect. That was the exactly. That was, the that was perfect. Yeah. So, like, literally, had I not lost my job that day, right. I wouldn't have answered those three phone calls. That's right. We've been too busy. So, <laughs> uh,
2: it, it almost seems too easy. I wanna know what, where have the struggles come? What have the missteps been? Okay. What so, hurdles did you have to clear?
1: Well, the first the first three years, um, well, first of all, I had no idea like how I was supposed to be, um, like what my fee structure was supposed to be. So I was like way undercharging the first couple of years. I just, I didn't know what I was worth. Um, so it took me a while to get to that point. And... Um, so like the first couple of years were a little rough in the sense where, you know, my wife, who's the spreadsheet bills person, normally would come up to say, all right, you know, first is coming up, these things are due. And I'd be like, all right, let's see who we can invoice this week. And then, you know, all of a sudden that would say, oh, now this is, this is close to done. This now moves to the top of the list because I can finish that right away. And then I can invoice for that. And so the first couple of years, that sort of, uh, that sort of income instability was really stressful. I still wouldn't trade it for going back and sitting in an office under, you know, soul bruising for uh, fluorescent lights and having somebody else mm. tell me what to do.
2: And um, how do you charge Is it hourly, fixed fee, milestone, so GNP? So it's,
1: it's, it's basically a combination of, of hourly. So basically like when I get a, a project in, you know, I've done it for enough years. So I kinda, I have an idea of what that time, you know, what that job should take me time-wise. So I multiply it out and I basically, I come up with a fixed fee and then I usually break it up into usually four payments. So there's the one you know, kind of a retainer when I go out and start, and mm. most of my work is addition. So when I come out and measure, you begin to pay me the first time. Then we design the, like, the plan stuff going on, mm. when you accept the plans, you know, when you say, okay, this is the plan I want, next payment. Then we design the elevations, the outside of the building, what it's gonna look like, when that's, you know, that's the next payment. So actually, sometimes depending on the size of the job, the plans and elevations, the design plans and elevations will be part of the same phase. Mm. Um, And then I send to get a set ready for um, for them to start giving to builders, which is usually about ninety five percent done. That then builders can sort of uh, they can start start estimating from that, and that's usually the the third or fourth payment, depending on whether we combine the first one. And the fifth payment is when I deliver sign seal drawings.
2: So life is supposed to be difficult. Your biggest problem was realizing you could charge a shitload more (laughs) than you were.
1: (laughs) There's got to be something else. I'm not buying it. It's so funny too, because over the last couple, of years, I, th- I still think I'm undercharging. Because like I keep like this last pe- this, basically for the last year, I've been like inching my fees up. And I'm, I'm waiting for the time for somebody says, "Whoa, all right, that's way too much." And I haven't hit that point yet. So like every if time you're not getting that feedback, <laughs> that's right.
2: you're not charging
1: enough. Right? I know not exactly. You want
2: to gouge people,
1: but <laughs> right. you know that you want to be under that, yep. but close to it. And so you know, I was so busy for the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything else. Like I throw like big numbers at certain things that I didn't want to touch. And then like, they'd call me back like, within an hour and say, okay, when do we start? I'm like, oh, man, I should have doubled that. <laughs> 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 well, but, so
5: uh, it sounds like it's going well. It is. When do you think you wanna stop and retire?
3: Or would you ever?
5: Or do you love it enough that it's not an issue? This guy follows his
2: bliss. I'm gonna answer for him. <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong, but well, no, they, he loves what he does. He realized it's what he wanted to do in fourth grade. As long as he can see and run a yeah. run a computer and a tape measure and a or sp- laser tape, and whatever. Spreadsheet, spreadsheet, spreadsheet <laughs> of
1: <laughs> course. Eventually, I'd like to hire somebody else to run the spreadsheet because the numbers still make yeah. my brain hurt.
2: But <laughs> I, I, I don't see you in a situation where you're thinking, oh, "How many more jobs until I can retire, or until my, I do uh, retire?" No.
1: You love well, what you do. The, That's the awesome. The joke has always been that architects never retire. They always just get more and more selective about the projects they take on. Um, so so when I, did, how about that then? When will be the point where you're like, you're taking less projects on? Um, so we got two kids in college right now. So not for the next four years, at least. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it really kind of depends. Like right now, like I said, I, I do kind of love what I do. I would love to get to the point of my first boss where I could say no to the stuff that's like messy, right? Um, not quite there yet. Like really, I think I've, I've, I kind of feel a niche in my market of um, somebody can call me like, you know, like a big firm's not if somebody's just like knocking out, they wanna open up their kitchen to their dining room, they need somebody to size a beam, no big firm's gonna take that job, right? Um, I can say, sure, I can come out and then measure that. Well, I can size the beam, it takes me an hour. I get them a drawing, they pay me. And then like, so like, I, I've tried to always be like small and flexible where I can take those like tiny little jobs. And um, but that like spreads the word, right? You get more customers, exactly. more. And somebody else said the next time their friend right. says, oh, you know, I, I love what you've done. I, I wanna do this too. Oh, call
2: Brian? And those right. simple changes like <laughs> right. knocking down a wall or getting a lala column out of a basement. Best money ever spent
1: for some people,
3: <laughs> right. exactly.
1: Myself included, <laughs> two times. It does. Like, it, it, those those little changes can some like you know change somebody's house to like truly be what they want it to be. Because right. I always tell people when I start a design project, like look, you know, don't even worry about what we'll always make it look pretty. The first thing we need to do is make it work for the way you're going to live in it. So I, I, I ask a lot of questions at that that first part, like you know, because it matters how the kitchen relates to the dining room, how the mud room relates to everything else. You know, when you come in, some people, like I did a house, the first house I ever did, actually, they wanted to come in the front door right into the kitchen. That's just the way they were going to live it. Would I ever design that house for myself? No. Is it gorgeous? Yes. And um, do they love it? Absolutely. <laughs> so it's all about making- it right into the kitchen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like literally you come in, like right in, like there's the front door, there's a little tiny- Not even a mudroom. It's kind of like a vestibule. It's only like two, you know, maybe three feet deep. But then you step right into there, right into the kitchen, to the side of the island. And then the whole living space is off to the right.
2: So you see how he dodged that question? Yeah. (laughs) You, either retirement? You are just so freaking blessed that I'm getting, I'm, I'm tanning <laughs> now from your spiritual glow or there, there's something else there. Like you got run over by a, a, a train when you were an infant and these are prosthetic legs or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it, I, it, I just don't think. It, are, are you that like lucky well, I, and you deserve everything because obviously you're motivated so and you take
1: responsibility
4: and. Science y- can't explain. It. It's called being blessed. Hey, yeah. no, well, I'm, I'm, I'm
1: yeah, well, asking. Well, here's the thing too, right? So like the, <laughs> Obviously, we could sit here and talk about you know all kinds of stuff, but um, it's just a theory. So I have had it's a not theory. like I haven't had any hard times. It's just that right now my job is not one of those things. Like so, right when I graduated from college, my, my younger brother died in a car accident.
2: Oh, gee. Okay, so I wasn't but, going
1: that. No, but here's the thing, right? Steve, you, but... you gotta be you gotta be holistic. It's gotta you gotta include everything, right? All right. Was that rough? Yes. My dad, I don't think mentally ever recovered from it. So like, and then my dad had a whole thing. I had to, you know, watch my dad get cancer and go all So it's not like there hasn't been hardships, but there's certain things you can control and certain things you can't. Just great to know you're normal. And certain, you just gotta, you gotta deal with what comes, you know what I mean?
0: And you know what, Brad, on that note, for our younger listeners, between your work, your hobbies, your writing, all your different interests, what life lessons would you share to the younger les- uh, listeners that they should keep in mind when pursuing either things in work their family life or just their own pursuits
1: I always you know, whenever I see the, the thing come up on Facebook or Twitter or everywhere it says like you know best life advice you could give in four words my first thing is always it's not about you um, life is too short to be focused on yourself and think about you know what people think of me but people don't care what you know you know, some people, they, they won't go to the gym because they don't want to be like, the, like my dad actually said at one point, you know, he was recovering from heart surgery and we, he need, needed to go to the gym. So I'm not going to be the old fat guy. I'm like, dad, you are an old fat guy, but <laughs> no one else cares. <laughs> just go in and get on the treadmill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, people don't care, you know, they just don't care. So life is too short to not do the things that you want to do, you know, and there is nothing wrong with failure. Um, you try stuff and you're not good at it, fine, but at least you tried. Um, and that was something. my, my son was one of those guys where he always, he wanted to be good at things so badly that he didn't try a lot of stuff. And I'm like, dude, you just, we have one of those too. It's like, dude, just, you know, you never know. You know what I mean? You might, you might hate it. You might fail at it. It might be, you might find your calling. You just don't know unless you go out there and do it. Or you might have to practice to get good at it. Right. But you you know. Right. And so like my mom always said that I, I always wanted to know enough about every subject where I could comfortably have a conversation about anything. And so that's becomes my bard personality right. So I'm I'm the jack of all trades. I want to know a little about everything. And that's always I've always been that kind of I just want to know how things work. I want to know how things are like right? I didn't realize after the fact. I want to know how things are put together. And so I think that leads to a lot of the way I approach my my business, right? Or my 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 art if you would call it. And I also say like, you know, so I'm I'm a writer and a so I always say I want to I want to construct poems and I want to see if I can write architecture. So I always just, and again, it's just like a mental exercise where you start thinking about like, what does that mean? And so you start, again, it's like having those things in place where it's sort of like, now you're choosing words. Now you really think about how things, and so that's always been my, I just always wanted to learn stuff. I always wanted to know how things, how things work, how things are put together. And so I really just tried to, you know, go out there and learn stuff and find out how things are put together. (laughs) Very cool. This guy's awesome. Ed, yeah. is, is Brian, you're, you're, <laughs> well,
2: so, look, yeah, you got that.
1: people on, everything
2: runs on a, a continuum, big spectrum, right? You got people who do nothing but complain to the point where, unless they have something to complain about, they're not content or happy, right? This guy's on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I had to ask and, and drill about four times to get to <laughs> anything negative. And the reality is, you know, no different than, than, than anybody else, right? We've all been through hardships, or at least by the time you're our age, you've, you've been through hardships. But your focus on the positive and what you can do and just going forward relentlessly...
0: It's awesome, and he's humble about his uh, willingness to learn. He also left out that he's a black belt in martial arts, and he's a bassist in a band. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm
2: glad I complimented you. I'm so not going to kick
1: my ass. Jeez. All right, so I, I do play bass badly, but I'm not in a band currently. So, awesome.
3: So, um, look, I think that was a pretty great interview, Brian. We To list
2: everything that this guy can do, you would need- Yeah. A spreadsheet. <laughs>
3: <laughs> thank you.
0: That's like the magic wand of our podcast, Yeah, spreadsheet.
3: Awesome. Well, Brian, appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you very much. This That's, has been a lot of fun.
4: Thank you yep. for your time and being honest and open.
3: Absolutely. Yep.
5: Thank you for listening to the Addict Static Podcast. If you like what you heard, Please like and subscribe and feel free to leave a comment below or come check us out at our website at addictstaticpod.com and stay tuned for new episodes out every Monday.